Hello, I'm Howard, and welcome to the 9320 Podcast Friday Show. The show that wonders why a Wolves player wasn't set off on Monday night for headbutting Ananda's hands. So corrupt. Uh, we've got a packed show looking back at the Super Cup triumph, the state of the squad, bit of VAR, UP, talking to a Newcastle fan, and of course, previewing the big Saturday night match. I'm talking really quickly because we've got a lot to pack in uh, in an hour. So let's do so. Got two stalwarts in here, despite strong Saudi interest. It's Asan and Chris. Good morning, Asan. How are you? I'm really good. And listen, if the Saudis come, I, I, I can't promise I'll still be here. That's all I can say. Wow. Well, I, I appreciate your honesty and put your cards on the table. So, uh, Chris, good morning. What about you? Yeah, I'm fa- I mean, I, I'm, I like to I like to consider I'm quite a moral person with integrity, but I can be bought. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pit opening bid 25 quid. I reckon they'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, whoa, I wasn't even expecting that much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I meant 15. 15 yeah. quid. <laughs> uh, how are you? Had a good week? Uh, yeah, I've had a, yeah, a very, very busy week. I um, I'm, This is my second week back. I was away for two weeks. And, you know, when you come back from holiday, you just feel like you need another holiday. That's what I felt mm. like because I was in Corfu amongst all the wildfires and it was extremely hot. So relaxation was not as easily achieved as normally. But I'm fine. End of the week. Looking forward to the game tomorrow. So, yeah, it's not bad. Oh, and also, I'm going to see, just very quickly, I'm going to see what frightened me. I'm going to see a, a 4K restoration of Serpico tonight. Remarkably, that film is 50 years old now. And I feel very old thinking about that. Wow, yeah, it's even well, it's even just older than me. So, blimey, yeah. that is depressing. Yeah, just been talking off air about ailments, haven't we? So, old age has uh, reached us all. So, anyway, let's crack on. Uh, let's look back. We've got another trophy, Super Cup. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I'm going to start with you because I think you know. So, probably discuss this this week. Uh, yeah. I I didn't know what to feel about this match. Really, obviously, wanted to win it. Obviously, once the match starts, uh, I wanted it even more. Players seem to enjoy it in the dressing room afterwards, of course, as they would after power to shoot victory. How much did it matter to you that City won the Super Cup this week? It's the usual thing, isn't it? It mattered, it mattered a lot more to me the moment that Sevilla's fifth penalty hit the crossbar didn't go in. Suddenly, it was of supreme importance. Um, I, th- I think... It, do you know what? It, it's one of those games, a bit like Community Shield, where I, I don't allow myself to actually have a really concrete opinion about it. Uh, it. Ultimately, it's meaningless. But I think in terms of winning a trophy that we've not won before, because we've not been in that position to be able to mm-hmm. do that, we haven't won a European trophy, I think that was significant. It was a game that could have easily we could have easily lost. So in terms of... Measuring City's performance, I think it's there are things to take from it, but no, it, it doesn't matter a great deal. There are there are a number of trophies that are important to me, and they usually are are, are played out in at the end of April or the beginning of May. And this one was just a bit of a kind of you know distraction, really. Hey, mm. I listened to your your review of sorts is what I called it, uh, <laughs> or you called it as well in the notes you sent me uh, yesterday, and really enjoyed it. But so yeah, you've covered some of this for subscribers anyway and the player the performance was average at best again did it matter at all was a lack of intensity inevitable due to heat importance of the game Sevilla just I don't know on steroids when it's a cup game uh, just like a completely different side completely did it matter to you the performance levels no 
not really. I, I'm. I, I think that we're a little bit having chickens come home to roost in terms of injuries. So my big thing, and this was before I knew that Alvarez had uh, basically that the doctors had told Pep that he's got a muscle injury and that he can't mm. play for more than 10 or 15 minutes. Um, even before that, I, I was kind of looking at that game going, I don't need anybody to do anything daft tonight. I need everybody who is available at the first whistle to be available at the final whistle. I don't need any injuries or anything like that. So no, the, the, it was the, for me, it was the least important game of the week uh yeah chris do you agree with that i guess what i'm getting at here is if you look you know look for, let's say phil foden didn't really shine palm oh, gonna get to kill palm was very interesting very divisive how he is uh let's say a kanji debut doing his john stones role not great success perhaps but again just never done it before and like, yeah you could pick holes or so and so was really sloppy so and so didn't do this and uh, do we actually take anything from any of those things going forward? Or was it really just, this is a one-off game in Greece. It was kind of inconvenient in the middle of the week. And it should just have its own discussion and then you move on. I think there were a lot of, there were a lot of, there's a lot of context attached to the game. Um, it was before, whilst it was before a really important game on Saturday, which will be a difficult opponent. We are, I won't quite say that we're patched up as a squad, but we're certainly carrying uh, a few issues with Kev not being there, Bernardo being unwell, Stones and Diaz not fully fit. And it was a hot, hot night and a sticky night in, in Athens. And, and that has an impact on your playing ability. And I, I'm, I'm sure that Pep probably followed the same kind of approach and ethos that, that Asan's mentioned there. Don't do anything stupid and don't get yourself injured. I, th I think, I think Sevilla's, approach to the game made that slightly more challenging if we wanted to make it a competitive thing but I just I think I think it's always important, always important I think look back and and with a lot of these games Pep wants to win them but what he is a master at is the bigger picture Mm. And and he's already thinking about next May. He's thinking about that running time. He's thinking about pacing the players. So yeah, it was it was fun, but but I I just yeah I don't take very much from it at all really uh, in terms of players' abilities, players' form. Things are being tried out, but it, but it's it's I think in the wider picture it doesn't have a lot of impact. Hey, so you mentioned on the review there were things that you know might be obvious that could have been done at half time like. Rico Lewis coming in for Walker or tactical things. The fact that Pep didn't do them, did that tell you that this has this game has some middle ground of importance that if this had been like a Champions <laughs> League game, even like a group stage game, he would have treated this game a bit differently, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I mean, uh, in a way, uh, I think if the point that you're making is that no subs at halftime showed that he, that showed that it, there wasn't a lot of importance on the game. I actually kind of see that differently. I think the fact that so many of the players that started played as long as they played was was actually on the contrary because he wanted to win the game. Um, mm. I think that the kind of... The selection was close to, if not, the strongest team that was available to him. And I feel as though... Had he really treated it like a friendly at half time, three or four of those lads would have just come off, and that would have been that. The fact that they all stay on for as long as they stay on for, it tells me that he was bothered. Hmm. 
I, I agree. I, I think I think if we make a lot of changes at half time, we get ripped in that second half, mm. and and I, 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 I and I think Sevilla win it without penalties because it was it was a very challenging second half in particular. I mean, they were just so like. I, I think the thing for me with Sevilla um, is I, I, I've encountered games like that in the past where you're watching a team and sort of twenty minutes in, you go, "You won't play this good again this season." This, you've reserved this for City. And I understand that. It's Guardiola. It's a, a cup final of, of sorts for them. Um, I think from a conditions point of view, it's probably, the, the conditions probably suit them a little bit more than they yeah. suit us. Coming from Europe's hottest city. Exactly. Yeah. And I think just in the end, it's just that thing of like, you, some teams will genuinely come up against City and really raise their level and, they'll know like there was just there was two very clear sides to Sevilla's game which was really difficult for us to deal with the low block with the very very good very intense defending and then the kind of intensity of the sprints in the counter-attacks so the again I don't think that Sevilla are going to have the legs or the ability to do that for 90 minutes of every game that they play. And I think that we saw in the last 15 or 20 oh, minutes of the game, how after 75 the, minutes, they were gone. They were gone. They were finished, just, they'd, yeah. they'd, they'd run out of legs because they'd put so much gas into that first hour or so. And so I think it was one of those days where, I mean, for starters, it finishes 1-1 and probably if City get a winner in the last 15, nobody complains and goes, they didn't deserve that because they Sevilla did just run out of legs. I think the fact that we don't lose that game when we're not running at 100%, when we've got the injuries that we've got, when we've got one eye on the game at the weekend, it's totally fine for me. It just, it, I, it didn't. I think t two seasons ago, we lose that. Last season was a threshold point in so many different ways, but particularly is, is game management and we absorb that pressure and we don't lose that game. Two seasons ago, we lose that kind of game, whether it's a friendly, glorified friendly or a really important game that, you know, we've talked about this mentality shift and that was that mentality shift. You absorb the pressure as difficult as it was and we don't lose the game. Well, I don't want to go on a landfield rap, but not only was it hot, I think the pitch was overwatered as well. So got to take that into account, don't you? Chris, How'd Sevilla do it then? <laughs> they were flirting with relegation last season. They've got a new manager and he's doing a good job. A bit, a bit of a Spanish journeyman. I hope that's not too harsh, but he has managed a lot of Spanish clubs. Mm -hmm. They go on, they beat United 3-0. I don't know if that counts for anything on their way to win the Europa League. Uh, they suffered. They they suffer a lot. You know, they did against Roma, I think, in the final, but they, they always find a way, like cockroach like Real Madrid in cup mm -hmm. performances. If you were a Sevilla fan, they lost at home in their opening game last Friday. Would you actually be a bit annoyed that they seem to become almost superhuman when when there's a cup on the on the line, basically, rather than in the league? But in, in the same way, some managers are expert cup managers. I think some teams are as well, and I think you know, there's no coincidence they've they've won so many Europa Europa leagues it's because they've they've fine tuned themselves to be able to manage a one leg or two leg knockout mm. phase and so so that you know i don't know what their fixture um is for the weekend and how much rest they're going to get the, the clue i'm only thinking Monday night they we play, are. I think. so they you know they've got another two days rest over the mm. we have but they, they it's in their mentality 
their their philosophy is very much, I think, focused towards cup games, which is why they're so successful in in the second tier of of, of European competition. I mean, they were superb. You know, it's full credit to them. They were dangerous every time they broke. They questioned. They they made. They asked lots of questions of us, and 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 I think I just think maybe the 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 key distinction was that, that, that we didn't have many chances, and they had far more than we did. But they didn't take those chances, and Edison, you know, performed really well. And um, so, but but also when you when you're competing in 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 the Europa League, you're not facing the same sort of competition of teams of which City is obviously at the at the head of the pack for for the minute. So, so I think that's where they came slightly unstuck is they couldn't quite unpick that lot. But no, I was deeply impressed with them. Um, and that, like I said, they could have easily walked away with the trophy. It was just down to one penalty of a slightly tired player who who who. I mean, I mean, I know it's it's a cliche, but he was six inches away from that going in it was really well placed it was just he just like he was slightly leaning back but yeah full credit but it's a risk they were high octane like f- full access uh, acceleration the risk with that is you've got you've got to finish the game before 70 minutes comes up and if you don't then you're going to run out of gas and that's exactly what happened just quickly chris before i look at uh wider picture and mm. And first penalties. Got to talk about penalties. Were you? It wasn't really creativity that worried me on the night. It's more, yeah. We, talk, I think, me and Ace had talked last week about how we're building almost a wall. Mm. Yeah, you know, after that Burnley game, it's like you can see games where teams won't lay a finger on us with that physicality of our back line, the choices we have in that back line, and then Rodri mm-hmm. and Kovacic in front. What worried me was just how much they actually sliced us open in the, the wide open spaces during this match. But again, is it? I mean, just reading too much into one game in the heat of Athens that, and a patched up side at this early stage of the season, and City sometimes being slow starters. Again, does it matter at all? I think what's interesting is to observe the patterns of play there. We, we defensively, we've never been as well well equipped as, as this before. We, we, mm. We've got you know we've got an absolute embarrassment of riches in terms of our defensive players. But for me, it's all about what happens in the transitions. Now, at the beginning of last season, and against Newcastle at St James's Park last season. We kept getting ripped open. Walker kept being exposed, and a lot of that was because we, we were dropping into to, to just having having three at the back when we were attacking, and then we lose the ball going back to, to a four. But because Newcastle counterattacked with such pace, Walker kept being caught out, so he was, he was allowing Sir Maximum so much space on the right hand side. And to some extent, on Wednesday, I think we were slightly lulled into playing Sevilla's game, which was high octane and moved the ball quickly forward as quickly as possible. That's contrary to a lot of what we do is about it's just about intense possession and keeping hold of the ball and, ty- and tiring the opposition by playing left to right. What I saw is when we got the ball, when we turned over the ball and we got the ball back, we were immediately attempting to attack them. So we went into attack formation. If we lost the ball, which we did on several occasions because some of our passing was appalling, um, when they broke a counter, we hadn't made the transition back into that back four 
process. So it, so Walker always looked exposed again. So I, I, th- I think that was part of the problem is that we allowed Sevilla to dictate the pace and the tempo of the game instead of mm. us imposing our usual tempo is get the ball and slow the game down. And I think that was part of it. Um, I, I don't have any concerns defensively because of the because of the personnel and because of the system which is now embedded in their thinking. But I just think we got allow ourselves to get a little bit distracted by Severe's approach. Try to try to match them with it, and actually they were more up for it than we were, so they were going to win that one. But no, I don't. I think I think I think defensive now we're better than we've ever been, uh, and I just think I, well I, I hope, but I do think that Wednesday was an anomaly as regards that. I think the the one thing I would say is that um, they looked they looked as dangerous as they looked because we made them look dangerous, and the reason that we made them look dangerous is because we gave the football away over and over and over again in positions that you just can't give the football away if you're going to play like City play. We're I think we're built so that it's okay if we get into the final third and we lose the ball there. Everybody knows where they need to be. The kind of the structure of the team is such that they know exactly what they need to do. What they're not prepared for is Rodri, Walker, Gvardiol, Akanji, Ake giving away five to ten yard passes on the halfway mm. line. If you do that it doesn't matter who you're up against. You're going to look like you're wide open on the counter attack. And it's not actually a structural thing. It's just where you give the ball away. And that's off the night because we know enough about the squad now and we're not going to be worrying about that for the next two years. That's something weird happens. It's and I'll stay with you. Shout out to the shootout. All five scored. Amazing. We do, we do historically have a great record on penalty shootouts. Only Walker's made me gasp as well. Some of them were really good. Uh, a boost to win a penalty. I mean, I wanted a more relaxed season. We're only a week into the season. We've had two penalty shootouts already. So. <laughs> God help us if they please don't have one in the Champions League. But I'm yeah. being unfair that I have low expectations for City in a penalty shootout. I'm uh, just a negative are, person. Yeah, I think you're being a bit unfair. I've, I've well, we've always... lost two takers, haven't we? Two takers have lost left this summer, but... Yeah, it's more about the fact that we've lost two penalty... I think we'd lost our last two penalty shootouts. Um, Mm. And so it's that sort of recency bias of whatever you've done badly recently, you just assume that you're bad at at that thing in general. Um, I don't think historically... Uh, whether you want to look at post-takeover or even pre-takeover, that penalty shootouts have been a problem for us. I think on the contrary, we've had some uh, pretty epic penalty shootout wins. So, um, yeah, no, I'm I'm not, it's not something that, I mean, look, I don't like them because I don't think that that's the way to decide who wins a game yeah. and certainly not who wins a tournament. Um, uh, what would you do then? Take a player off every five minutes in extra time. Golden goals, silver goals. Golden goal. I think it should be next goal wins. Simple. I think if you, <laughs> you get fly goalies as well, uh, jumpers no, for goalposts. I, I think it's completely counterintuitive that because if golden goal wins, what happens is neither team take chances. And it becomes an absolute snore fest because no one takes, no one takes, you see it already in extra time now. Second half of extra time, people stop taking chances. They start Isn't that more to do with tired? Isn't that more to do with tired? No, I, I think it's a, for me, if you can't, if you can't win a game in 120 minutes, penalties is all you deserve because you've not taken the initiative and won the game in, in the normal standard time. If we play golden goal, 
I remember, I remember the most important one. I was Germany against Czech Republic. I think Euro '96, and they won. And Germany won on a golden goal. And I just remember that Germany stole it because both teams were terrified of making a mistake. I, I, I think it's a bad idea. It's like if you can't do it in '90 and then 120, you've lost the privilege. So you just got to do it in penalties. Fair enough. Wow. I'm not going to argue with that, sir. Yes. Penalties are better than tossing a coin, I guess, I know. <laughs> yes, I would beat Seville then. Previously lost to Arsenal, of course, and West Ham in the League Cup. Uh, prior to that, we beat Liverpool, beat Chelsea, beat Leicester twice, beat Wolves when they outplayed us in the League Cup. Well, that's how I remember it. Beat Liverpool, beat Alborg in the UEFA Cup. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven success. And that's eight out of the last ten won. So... Yeah, I think A sounds right about. I think A sounds right about recency bias. What really did it for me against Arsenal? It was Rodri's attempt at a penalty was so shocking. It was such a poor effort. I just thought, what's going on here? And I'm, I'm kind of thinking that, that that they all said the same thing because all our, I mean, all the penalties on the night, apart from the tenth one, were absolute quality penalties. I thought Walker got a bit lucky, um, but yeah. the rest of them were fantastic penalties. So well, yeah, Rodri knew. Rodri knew if you win. Community Shield, you don't win the league thereafter. So that's what it is. He's, so so he's, smart. he's, he's thinking such a ahead. Smart player, isn't it? I know. I know. He's but- an absolute genius. Absolute <laughs> genius. Uh, Asad, yeah. Forget the performance. Did again something that was discussed in the review. It's like, did you take more about the squad away from that game? Yeah. About what needs think- transfers, but you know, and what we've talked about. Obviously, Paqueta, Doku are still heavily linked and should maybe happen, Paqueta especially. Is that what the game told you, if anything? Because we can't assume that we can have last season's, I wouldn't say luck, but just injury record. We're already seeing it. I think we're seeing it elsewhere as well. I don't know if it's pure coincidence, but Timber's out, is he not? I think Real Madrid, obviously, got two players out for ages. Uh some serious injuries are happening all over the place and you have to plan, don't you, on the assumption you will have three or four players out at any one point. So is that did you take that from the game that we really need to start moving now and get sort out what has been a messy transfer window? I think the big thing is that um you you see so Guardiola likes a small squad, fine. We, mm. we all we all accept that accept accept that to a greater or a lesser extent, but that uh, comes with its own inherent risks, and we see the inherent risks in that in having a small squad on Wednesday night, where you're missing Kevin De Bruyne and uh, Bernardo Silva, and you've got nothing, like you've not got anything on the bench, and your team is okay. But it's not it's not a team that you take into the Champions League final, for example. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, uh, th- there's obviously the Stones and Diaz Knox as well, that, or that their unavailability as well. And I think that for me, what I took, what I have taken from the whole summer, not just the game on Wednesday, is very much that we won't get that look again this season. And making the squad even smaller is completely counterintuitive and bad decision making from the people at the top i i expect i expect better from them to be perfectly frank i'm a little concerned that at what i see as a desire to be seen to be making money 
Football clubs are not banks. They're not even traditional businesses in the sense that, lads, you're not here to make a profit. You're here to win. And so for me, you can trumpet the profits that you've made from the players that you've sold when your squad is complete. When Kevin De Bruyne's out for four months and your squad is really small and you've let Mares go and you've let Gundogan go, telling me how much money you've made from academy sales is irrelevant and I'm not interested and I would hazard a guess 99% of the supporters out there aren't interested. What they're interested in is what you're doing to strengthen the squad. Yeah, they could tell me if they spend it. So, (laughs) yeah, just spend it all, please. Uh, If we did get Chris, if we got Paqueta Doku, would you be still expecting one more? Or do you think City will? Do you think that leaves us create creative enough i was when i was watching the game on wednesday i was trying to work out with whether we had a kevin de bruyne shaped hole or just a creative player shaped hole because we've 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 survived with de bruyne being injured yeah. before but then we did have david silva at that point you know and gundawan as well so so it was slightly different i think that that you know paqueta Pe- in particular it he should, you know, we're aware of of his of his ability and and his range, but you know, if it follows the usual thing of it takes a player a certain amount of time to adapt to Pep, then it's not going to be a plug and play. And um, I think that I think I think Aston's being a little harsh because it because I think that the our, our transfer policy has been pretty well vindicated over the last few seasons, you know, walking away from Kane, the, you know, wait, waiting for Haaland, you know, pushing through without without recognised striker when, when Aguero's gone. So, so, yes, there's luck involved and it's not all by design sometimes. It's by default. But I think, I think that, that I was slightly concerned about where the creativity was coming from um, against Sevilla. At the same time, I've seen us play many Premier League side who will try and and approach the game, not quite like severe, but with a man-to-man process, cutting down all our rhythm. And I've seen the same issue about where's the creativity coming from. And 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 eventually, once we wear them down, the creativity can start to emerge. Mm. I think that, that De Bruyne's injury is, is really unfortunate. Um, to buy a player who has that level of creativity is quite challenging, to, to do and Paquetto and Doco, they would you know they don't come ready made. They still have to do uh, some. Uh, I have some action. breaking news. Sorry, so City's move for Lucas Paquetar is off. What? Yep, it is. Are they walking, the story walking that, away from West Ham's. No, no, that they the somebody has briefed Lucas Paquetar's move to Manchester City is off for confidential reasons that can't fully be explained right now. No, oh, that's a great help to us all. Do you think yeah. it's someone else? No, I think it's probably... It's not me, it's you. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it sounds to me like uh, it'll be some kind of injury thing. I think that as soon as you get into the realms of we can't tell you why this deal is off, it's probably because there's something behind the scenes that the selling club don't want out there and the buying club are just like, all right, fair enough. We're not, we're not, if we're not going to do the deal for, if that's what's going on, we're not going to do the deal. Um, it says, well, so to we'll be see clear, if he plays this weekend for starters. Yeah. Exactly. It says uh, 90% off 
rather than a hundred. This is not helpful for City. Super helpful. <laughs> well, I'm just well, gonna. I'm just gonna I mean. double down. Da- no, hang on. I'm just gonna double down mm. on what I said two and a half minutes ago, which mm. is that. I like how well-run Manchester City Football Club is, but I am also fully aware that as soon as you start believing your own hype, it's the moment at which you stop doing the right things and making the right decisions. And I think that when I look at what's happened in the last three years to the squad, we have slowly lowered our expectations of what a competitive squad is. And we've been able to do that based on the genius of Guardiola and the and genius of Guardiola coupled with a really good run with injuries, yeah? Now, if the injuries hit or if the competition gets a bit closer to you or Pep takes a few months to figure something out or a combination of all of those things, you very quickly get sucked back into the pack. And I'm not being a, like, I'm not, trying to create some doomsday scenario. I'm just saying that if you're making lots of money, Ferran, if you think that you're a super profitable business and you're sustainable and all of those things, then why are you allowing top world-class footballers to walk out the football club with seemingly no real plan for how to replace them beyond Cole Palmer's pretty good if he doesn't want to leave. James McAtee's pretty good if he doesn't want to leave. And Oscar Bob's pretty good if he doesn't want to leave. Now, I'm all for, I'm a city supporter. So of course, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be like, I love the kids. Let's get, let's throw the kids in when we're in the summer. But now the season's begun. Now I'm watching what everybody around us is doing. I'm asking myself why the football people at the club have left it until the 18th of August to figure out that they need more bodies. And even now on the 18th of August, they can't seem to identify somebody that they can close a deal with in any sort of efficient manner. If Newcastle can do the deals that they've done this summer, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty disappointed in City's uh, City's business this summer. But Aysan, isn't this indicative of Pep? Because his parameters are about, I want a small squad, therefore I'm very selective of who I who I want. And if I can't have that player, I'm not happy. So the club are operating in quite a small parameter and any purchases have a lot more stake attached to them. I, I think, I think that, I think that, that Newcastle have recruited well, particularly in terms of, of numbers. I, th- I still can't work out Chelsea's recruitment. I still think it, f- it feels like it's, it's a, like they're, they're just, they're just collecting players. Liverpool's is a disaster. And I think, I, I think United just follows the same pattern that they've always been following. They're overpaying for players for the sake of headlines. Arsenal will we'll, we'll wait and see. I understand your frustration with that, but I just, I don't know. It, it's kind of, for me, it's very, it's very, it, it, it says a lot that, that we've spent so much money on bringing in another, defender and I think and I think it may say a lot about the way Guardiola is shifting his the way he's designing moving into games that now so much emphasis seems to be on our bat line when it never used to be for him I wonder if that's got any sort of context to it that maybe but I just it's a numbers game though isn't it both financially and in terms of squad sizes it fundamentally it's a numbers game so what I 
what I think we have a problem with is Guardiola loves versatile players because versatile players means that he doesn't need a player for a position. He needs a player for four positions because he can use Foden and Bernardo in eight different positions. And ergo, I don't need any more footballers, but they can't cover all those positions at the same time. And a couple of injuries puts you in a position where suddenly they've got to cover too many positions. Mm. And I'll just say again, we've been very lucky with injuries. We, with from the Guardiola perspective of he likes a small squad, he's not the owner of the football club. And there's a sporting setup for a reason. And part of that reason is if your coach has got a blind spot, you as the director of football go, listen, I know you like a small squad, but I'm a little concerned about X and Y. Therefore, I'm giving you two more footballers. They're high caliber, high quality footballers, and they're going to fight for the positions. And I think this is the thing that we, I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I, 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 I look at our first team straight into the team purchases. Yeah. And we've done Harland, Grealish, and um, uh, Vardial, right? In, in the last three years. And they're all excellent signings. I absolutely do not dispute the level of those players. I just think we need more quality players. I think that Phillips was a sign of we're buying a squad player, we're buying a backup. Forget that. Don't buy squad players. Don't buy backups. Go and buy the best available footballer in a particular position and let them fight it out with whoever's already in the squad. But that's a, for City, that's a lot harder to do because of the team that they're coming into. In any sure. other Premier League Absolutely. side, any other Premier League side, there would be no discussion about whether Palmer or McAtee would be, would be on the bench or at least off starting. Yep. It's, it's it's the absolute sublime excellence of City that makes it so hard 100%. To, to find those players. And also, we also know that City very carefully scrutinised the personality and character of each player as well. You know, we all thought Pakatar was on and obviously something has come up. That yeah, they've seen his goal City. celebration, haven't they? Isn't that? <laughs> yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. It comes yeah. down to goal celebrations. Our, our season is going to be won and lost based on who we sign because of their goal celebrations. You know, but the thing I is, mean, we've we, got three we extra did... games this season, haven't we? Or two or three. We've got an expanded Champions League next season. Mm. This can't be sustained, this small squad. Mm. Can't be sustained. And we can't. It's not all luck, those injuries, that we have a, clearly have a brilliant uh, sport, you know, behind the scenes team. But injuries are still partly luck. You can do everything for players. They could get out the shower and do their crucial ligament. So this can't be sustained like this, to be honest. So mm. it's it's worrying. It's been a it's been a messy window because it's been reactive all the time. It's reacting, 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 and we still don't know now about a couple of outgoings on youth. And players. that's what I mean. About still now. That's what I mean about forward planning and that's what I mean about taking it a little bit out of Pep's hands. And that's what I mean about, or that's where my frustration at the money chat comes from is like, I, I'll just say again, I completely respect the fact that City are well run and they make loads of money. Well done. 
I love the fact the Academy makes loads of money. Well done. But don't trumpet that when you can't close a deal for Lucas Pakatar. Don't trumpet that if you're selling Riyad Mahrez because he goes, I don't want to be here anymore because I've had a better offer without a backup plan to replace him. We trumpet our scouting system. We trumpet the fact that with three players in every position at all times that we can go out and buy. Really? It doesn't look like that from where I'm sitting. I think that... <laughs> That you and I want the listeners to make one really huge distinction. I know we did the treble last season. I know Guardiola is the best coach in the world. I am thinking worst case scenario, and the people who run the football club have to think about worst case scenario. Hmm. And it's hard to complain coming off the back of a treble and the glorious football and everything I've seen. But the one thing that always frustrates me is the PR thing that you know at the end of the windows, Pep or City are happy with what they've got when we all know they're not because they're just not aggressive enough because they lean on Pep's genius. Yeah, and also... And you, you, this- should, you should acquire players as if you've got a, a quite good manager, really, and then let Pep's genius make exactly. things even better. Well, thinking, oh, well, we've got no left-backs, and he'll fi- but he'll find a way, don't worry. And I hope this is Paquetta's because if there is someone else. I'm not sure the way it's worded it is. If they now, they, they've got two weeks now to find someone else. If they don't go get to someone else now, we are really stuffed in a way uh, mm. in certain areas of this squad. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the other um, misapprehensions uh, is that, so Guardiola will always say, like, I'm happy with my squad. I've got options. And people go, oh, so it's it's Pep's call. It's like, it is and it isn't. I know for a fact of a couple of occasions in the summer window where there's been a blazing row between Guardiola and the money men, because the money men have told Pep he can't have a certain player because they don't believe that the selling club's valuation is how they value that player. Um, and whether they're right or wrong, my point is simply one, Pep doesn't always get what he wants. And two, what Pep says in press conferences about being happy with the squad is not off, not always what he says privately. Hmm. Still, at least McGuire and Cucurelli aren't here, so... <laughs> it's a team effort yeah he's not always right so uh, Ace I'll stick with do you think Cole Palmer's more likely to stay if with this breaking news uh, bro I've got no idea people ask me like every other day they're like what do you think's going to happen this has been for me one of the most difficult and complex windows to try and get my head around city strategy almost since the takeover I don't. Well, can I just ask you what I don't get is why is the loan? Do you know? Do you have you any ideas, theories, or anything? Why is the loan option been taken off the table? Because he probably took it off the table. Because he's probably it came from Palmer. Money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it's 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 almost a sure thing that Palmer's gone. Listen, either play me and I'll stay, or sell me. But I'm not going. I, I want like my next step. I'm ready to take it now, which means that I want a two three year commitment to playing in the first team. So. You know, I, I, I think Palmer. I think the ambition and the competitiveness of the of the world class players that Palmer's been mixing with in that squad has rubbed off on him, and he is at that point. Was you know, it, it's it, it it makes for excruciating reading when when there seems to be this position of 
well, the player will decide what he wants to do, and 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 Palmer's saying I, I either stay or, or or I'm sold, I play or I'm sold. But that but that that is symptomatic of you've got a hugely ambitious player there who wants to be playing football, and and as much and as much as, as as he is, you know, in the company of great players and he's winning things, he wants minutes. I understand that completely. He may not possess the same level of patience that Foden has, has needed to have. But I mean, I, I, it's that thing is, 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 and you said this before, if you've got a player on the bench, but you've got no confidence in playing him, he shouldn't be in the squad, a la Phillips. And, 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 and Palmer is the same thing for me. And I thought he showed confidence in him and he scored two critical goals. But yeah, he's Palmer, Palmer doesn't, I think Palmer doesn't want to waste another season. Yeah. Uh, well, that, right that, that that'll, that'll be at the yeah. forefront of his thinking, which I have to respect. Yeah, but you know what? And again, I, I, I've said this on a, a couple of the night three twenty players, but I don't think we ever said it on the Friday show. Like with respect to Palmer, you knew you had Riyad Mahrez and Bernardo Silva last season, and yet you kept him and you told him he'd get minutes, and then you didn't give him any minutes. And when you did give him minutes, you gave him minutes in all the positions that he doesn't play in and doesn't excel in. So he didn't develop as a footballer at all. He didn't get a single opportunity really to show how good he is. And the senior players just played in front of him. That's really bad management. And so, ergo, I completely understand why this summer he's gone, well, you can keep me if you're not buying another lad and you're saying to me, I'm the guy. But if you're saying to me, we're going to buy another lad and you're going to have to fight for your minutes and you'll get 15 competitive starts, well, no, then I'm going to go and I'm going to play somewhere where I will develop. And I think this is the the key thing with young players. I know we like, we love the idea that young players will learn more from being around top players and being coached by Pep than they will going out on loan somewhere. That is true to a point. But any footballer of any age at some point just needs to play football to get better and just will not develop if they're not playing. So... I get totally get Palmer's position. Yeah. Well, it's developing story and we need another podcast on this. <laughs> so, uh, Asan, to be continued early next week, I reckon. Uh, we need to move on. Chris, afraid to say we've only got two minutes to talk about VAR, which that's okay. That's okay, really, is it not? That's so, what's the one thing you wanted to say after the fallout from <laughs> Old Trafford, though? The legacy <laughs> it may leave that. Astonishing yeah. decision. I, I think I, 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 I'll, I'll, the key thing is obviously I'm not here defending the, the referee in fraternity and I'm more than willing to criticise referees when they've made a mistake. And Monday night was, was a really shocking error. All referees make mistakes, but the, the, I think the, the, the gravity of that mistake was on two levels. One, it was an opportunity for a Wolves to potentially equalise, which would have been fully deserved because they dominated that game. And two, it wasn't just one person on the pitch making a difficult decision. The on-field referee had a whole team of people supporting him in that situation. I think that the, 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 the Howard Webb must have his head in his hands thinking what the like how on earth did that manage to to, to to go through and the speed with which an apologies came out from Moss and Webb it post match just showed me there's more things that need to be improved uh, in that I don't I can see how potentially the referee 
um, might not have given it straight away, but I do think mm. his performance was affected by the fact he knew he had the he had the the the, the um, um, uh, kind of safety net of VAR. How VAR did not how the VAR did not decide that that was a was a penalty. I I cannot work out, and I I, I don't want to imagine that it's because it's it's the ninety sixth minute of the game and it's at Old Trafford because I refuse to sort of follow that kind of c- corruption narrative. I just I think it was incompetence, and I think stepping down that refereeing team for a week doesn't solve anything he's put you put on the naughty step there are fundamental problems that that, that a team of officials came to, came to the conclusion that that was not a penalty and i've always said you got to be 100 percent. for me that was a 100 percent penalty mm. i did promise a blog on this but it's still in production so <laughs> my, my once my once a year blog on var uh, will be out next week no doubt so there's real issues there and i think it goes it goes to how referees act knowing that that VAR is there I think is the key to the problem but time has defeated us another time so just to say briefly mistakes are 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 publicized at a much higher volume than all the good decisions are but that's part of the game and and I just think it's 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 created another huge obstacle for for Webb which he was just and he was he was navigating a really successful pathway through It's, it's it's a step back that could have been avoided yeah, but key to the issues, I think, if VR didn't exist, is that, that that referee the same? As likely, less likely or more likely to give that penalty? I guarantee you it's more likely. It's yeah. more likely. And there the lies net. the problem. If VR's yeah, not going to sweep up, then it's fundamentally flawed. Yeah. Right, enough looking back. That is the end of part one. Now, last night I spoke to uh, Newcastle fan Harry de Cosimo that some of you will know because I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago on the player about Newcastle's ambitions for the the season. And I spoke to him again uh, after cracking starts of the season for them about the game this weekend and all things Newcastle. So here's me talking to Harry. I'm delighted to be joined once more by Harry de Cosimo. Uh, good afternoon, Harry. How are you? Hi, Howard. I'm glad to be back so soon as well. We're only speaking a couple of weeks ago. I know, but just out of instinct, I was going to say it's been a while, but it hasn't. So no, it's been no, about it two weeks ago, if that. Yeah. And for those that, yeah, uh, this is our Friday show, of course. Uh, for those that don't subscribe, we did a, a top six uh, series just before the season started where I spoke to a fan of every other, I say every other member of the top six. There were six others. There isn't really a, a thing as the top six anymore, but yeah, uh, we had a chat about two weeks ago about Newcastle going into the season, and it's good to have you back and uh, see where we're at. Good so, to be back. and yeah, I think there's no better place to start. The season has started. Never been a dull moment across the the Barclays or in the transfer market over the past week, but especially not been a dull moment in Newcastle last weekend. So five one against Aston Villa. Even you couldn't have expected that. No, I, I, I definitely didn't. Um, I think I was uh, I was actually at Sheffield United against uh, Crystal Palace covering that game, and I, it was in the press yeah. conference just after Roy Hodgson had left, and I turned my phone off airplane mode, and it popped up two one to Newcastle. Isak scores, and after I checked the score for, for Villa, it was Musa Diaby who Newcastle chased for or been linked with for a year, and. Sandro Sonali had obviously opened scoring, so it was like a narrative overload. It was like there was so much narrative in that in in in, the, in all three of those goals, really. And and then I kind of thought, you know, that that took the impression that that was a competitive game, and you, and it was two teams that were about as good as each other going 
head to head. And then on the train back, I just saw three, one, four, one, five, one, and it could have been six and seven. And it doesn't, there has been a bit of talk about whether it, it sort of told the full story. There were spells in the first half where Villa were very good. And I think Villa, Villa will have a good season. I think Tyrone Mings' injury was a problem, but for them, and it really, they didn't recover from that. But going into the game, you know, you, you would have taken a, a, you know, probably some, some fans that, you know, might have even taken the draw. I mean, at home, Newcastle are a different beast, but it, a draw wouldn't have been a, a disaster, let alone a mm. sort of 1-0 win, 2-1 win, something like that, which is what most people expected. And then to, to win 5-1, but the way that Tenali played and the way that Barnes came on, the way Gordon played, it kind of, it just gave, gave credence to everything that Eddie Howe's done. Uh, and I think... Uh, the 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 question around Newcastle was can they go again? Well, actually, on the basis of last week and the basis of pre-season, even they've actually improved. They've actually got better, and I think when you compare that to, I don't think you know if you look at Liverpool and Chelsea last week, you look at Manchester United, you look at Tottenham. None of those teams look on par with Newcastle at the moment. And obviously, it's one game. Obviously, it's early in the season, but still, it, it for this point in the season to be that you know to be top of the league. I mean, that's just crazy. Uh, even even after one game, you know that's the first time in 16 years Newcastle have even been, you know, at, to- at the top of the league at, at all. So we just it, it just continues the theme of Newcastle breaking new ground, and I think that's what's really exciting. No offence, but it doesn't count after one game. So. No, it doesn't. Well, well, it wouldn't for Manchester <laughs> City. You end the season there at most seasons, but for a Newcastle fan, it definitely does count for it for now. <laughs> no, I know you've just tri- you just triggered me because they showed it on Match of the Day last week when some teams hadn't even played yet. So yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> lots no. of zeros on it. Played zero, zero points. Like, oh god, this yeah. is a new low. This yeah, is new. No. At, least, at least wait till everyone's played a game until you no, show it. No, I can, I can the understand. Table. Point of view, but from a Newcastle fan's point of view, it's really quite something just even to be, yeah, n- have the one the number one next to your name, even after one game. It's just it kind of, it's it's more, but but in all, in all seriousness, it's more about the as I say, the, the, the performance and the way that they the, the thing that really got me is that Newcastle it got to 3 1 and then they and they and they went up, it got sorry, it got to 2 1 and then they went up, they, their, their level went up, and under Mike Ashley, under Steve Bruce, and every other manager pretty much before Eddie Howe. At two one, you you would fear an equaliser, mm. um, and you and they would go into their shells, and the stadium would would swallow itself up. Whereas the everyone just went up a level, and I think that kind of shows the collective confidence about Newcastle at the moment. Pretty vague question here. What was so good about Newcastle? Is it? I assume the answer is a bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean the system, uh, balance yeah, the, of players, work rate, ethic, the, just yeah, ba- works together, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I think for me. The thing that that gets Newcastle go got Newcastle going initially was that I mean it was the what in a way what it's showing is how easy it would have been for Mike Ashley just if he if he tried to get the club on side if he'd given mm. a little bit of you know because all it took was a little bit was the idea of hope and to sort of sum sum that up Newcastle fans went mental the first week of the takeover because somebody cleaned the windows at St James's Park and I'm not making that up that is literally. True, everyone. It was on Twitter that Newcastle fans were going crazy because somebody had had bothered to clean the windows, and what that suggested was that someone's what 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 goes on. Someone actually cares, and then from, mm. from there, a manager comes in who has a system. The players come in. Everyone's working off the same hymn sheet, and then the fans just find that very easy to to go along with. But I'm sure you know people are old enough out there to, to remember. I, I personally, I'm not actually from the Kevin Keegan years, but what Newcastle was like in the 90s. It's sort of very similar 
um, to that and what Newcastle was like under Sir Bobby Robson as well. There's evidence to show what what makes Newcastle special. It's that that ability to get the city on, on riding on the crest of a wave, and I think that that's really what what's made Newcastle where you know driven Newcastle. You guess the 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 players have been brilliant and the recruitment's fantastic. And if you look at how certain clubs have have messed around in the transfer window. Uh, this summer and, and struggled in the transfer window. You see where Liverpool are struggling for a centre midfielder. Now, it's Chelsea, have, have, you don't know where they've got players coming out their ears. I don't know, you know, but we were told that the dressing room wasn't big enough last season, let alone now. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be a, 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 an obvious coherent thought there, whereas Newcastle, everything is planned. Everything is well thought out. Newcastle have taken, they've not done the Manchester City thing, but what they have taken is that ability in terms of spending from the very start sort of been a bit more incremental because of FFP. Let, let, let's not pretend it's not because Newcastle are better than Man City or want to do things different. It's just because FFP exists now. But um, but what they have done, if you watched, obviously you all have seen the documentary from a few years ago at Man City, you, you saw was that coherent thought, that co- and everything was built into a place to get Guardiola in and then that would, that would complete the set. Everything was, you know, you got the Barcelona directors in and it's kind of similar where it's built from the top, but everything's got a coherent thought. And I think that's what makes Newcastle so good. Yeah, well, the squad's coming along nicely. As we speak, you're trying to sign Lewis Hall. Mm. Uh, brilliant prospect. He was cracking against City in the Cup uh, last season. I have no concept of time, so. Uh, but he is a belt. I, I don't understand why Chelsea would allow for him to yeah. be sold uh, yeah, FFP I mean they're running the numbers again I mean nothing makes sense with Chelsea so perhaps we should just save our time and not try and work it out but no. Livermento as well building for the future it's absolutely high top tier rated young talent there mm. on both sides of your defence you must be happy with this transfer approach as well oh yeah it's it's brilliant and you know I was saying to somebody the other week it used to be the way that used to be the way Newcastle did things. They used to, you oh. know, Craig Bellamy, Kieran Dyer, uh, Jermaine Genius across the sort of the turn of the century. Those were the, those were the, the equivalent prospects. You know, they were really highly rated, and Newcastle struck for them. And then 10, 10, 15 years ago, when you know Manchester United and Arsenal were chasing Aaron Ramsey, Theo Walcott, these kind of players, when they were the the sort of 16, 17, 18 year olds, Newcastle were nowhere to be seen. And now. It's great to be back on that that level. You know, it's great to be back looking at, at signing these 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 players. Lewis Hall is an odd one because you know I, I was I was chasing a bit of information on this this week actually, and T- Kieran Tierney's name was from Arsenal was the one that came back because Lewis Hall was expected to go to Palace on loan after signing a seven year contract. That's all <laughs> changed because I think they've, as you say, they've run the numbers and gone. Well, we need to sell someone and and. And and they've sold him, and I think Chelsea fans are quite understandably upset at that. So if if Chelsea fans are upset at it, then I, and just as you know, Chelsea fans were upset that Tino Liberamento went to Southampton, and mm. therefore will have been upset that he hasn't gone back to them and, and joined Newcastle. It kind of shows that if they're good enough to to upset those you know, a, a club a, a fan base at the at the level of Chelsea, then they're good enough to to succeed at Newcastle. And, as you say, that that age that age profile is is really working out for you because that that is the fullback sorted, and you're not even mentioning Kieran Trippier. You still got a couple of years left at the top. Um, mm. That's the fullback sorted for ten, possibly possibly up to 12, 12, 13 years. 
Yeah, but just quickly before we move on to the match, uh, going back to last week, got to talk about Tonali's debut. Was it uh, <laughs> everything you'd hoped for? Yeah, talk about whoever who's already there, and that's one summer sign that's already looking pretty tasty. Yeah, indeed. I, mean, I, I mean, we didn't really, uh, nobody really expected that. I think, I think, having watched them at pre-season, um, Tonali looked good on his debut at Rangers. Then. Struggled a little bit in, in the US and the Premier League Summer Series and then did well in the final pre-season tournament the week before. But there was a sense that, that it was going to come a little bit too soon because Eddie Howe uh, likes to, to sort of throw, doesn't like to throw players in. He likes to sort of increment yeah. them in, 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 in stages and when they're signed, especially when they're not used to the Premier League. And Ed, and Elliot Anderson, a young lad from Newcastle, has really impressed and Sean Longstaff was fit again. So there was a thought process that that those would that those two wouldn't start, and then suddenly you see Tonali's name on the team sheet, and you go, okay. Uh, and then five minutes in, you understand why. But it, it wasn't just his goal; it was the fact that Newcastle. And this is what makes me quite confident at the weekend and just in general is now Newcastle have the last season. It was you, you really wanted to double to, to clone Bruno Guimaraes, really, because he was so good in the six. But at the but you would then lack it. You, you, the the idea was to get was to free him up so he could go and play in the eight. And, and affect the game more high up. Now you have Bruno able to sit, Tonali able to do what Bruno would do in, in the eight, or vice versa. And it, it really just makes Newcastle look like a, every bit a, a Champions League team. And I think that's that's where Newcastle might, you know, it's, it's scary to think Newcastle could give Man City a game in midfield at the eight he had, but I genuinely think so because those two players just look like every bit a champion, you know, a Champions League midfield. Knee-jerk reaction time. Then, has the results last week changed your ambitions for the season? No, because I already had ambitions of finishing in the top five, and I've said this all summer: is that top five because you know the 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 Champions League expanding, and um, because the Champions League expanding because um, Man City are so good, and you would expect you know English clubs to do so well that the coefficient will mean it'll go to top to a top five for the Champions League next season. And I think Newcastle are well well capable of that. I did I, I thought that last week. So, you know, I don't think that a title push here. There's a lot of talk. Can Newcastle can Newcastle raise a title challenge? I think that'll even imagine if they won on Saturday. Imagine what the narrative would do then. But I genuinely don't think so. I think it'll be a top four, top five push again with another good go at the cups. Um, if in an ideal world, but you you kind of as, as Man City are aware, you kind of got to pick and choose sometimes. You know, I know Man City. Mm. Uh, I know you won the treble last year, but you, you do kind of, you know, I don't think Newcastle are at the stage of this where the squad's strong enough to, to push an all front. So I'd imagine that a top five plus the uh, top five finish plus going far in this year's Champions League would be would be a solid season. Your fixture list is pretty quite brutal in a way for the start, is it not? So uh, City, yeah. then Liverpool, then Brighton, and well, Brentford at home, you know. Not the easiest one, and they've got Sheffield United, Burnley, West Ham, Palace, Wolves. So quite yeah. one now where you'd be quite hopeful of picking up points. So mm. yeah, good to get ahead of the pack after the first game. Then so I uh, just going to move on to the match. Uh, just very quickly though, uh, obviously, as I'm all too aware, ownership, and it's probably been a troublesome and uh, yeah, divisive mm. time perhaps uh, being yeah. a Newcastle fan because of the ownership thing and fan, you know, you've had to feel like you defend your club a, a lot. And I think we've talked yeah. about, I think we've talked about it, you know, 
in the past. Uh, the news that Saudi friendlies are going to be at St. James's Park this week, does that make you uneasy at all, or are you just not that bothered, to be honest? Yeah, no, that 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 does, because it kind of feels like you, you're, you're, you're goading the... the, the that the mm. Premier League is go- the Newcastle are goading the Premier League. Like, there's no need for it. It doesn't really benefit if you run. The people have run the numbers. Said that the revenue that they're going to generate isn't going to be huge. It just sort of feels like. Um, and I, I thought this watching the first episode of the new Amazon documentary last week. Actually, there's a lot of sort of Saudi, a lot of a Saudi element to it. I, it, I completely understand the, the the argument that if you accept Bruno and and Isak and and play for your club and you accept Champions League football then you can't really kick up a fuss about this but I just think it's a, you know you never see Man City doing this you know you don't see you know for all the comparison between Newcastle and Man City and the ownership you know the United Arab Emirates have never played at Etihad um, and it just feels a little bit too on the nose for me and it, yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of it I will admit I mean, who's going to these games anyway? To be honest, well, the the, 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 the tickets are about five, and I have seen a couple of people say that they might go to one of them. I think it's South Korea and and Costa Rica. That's another thing. I mean, you know, if you want people to come to these games, at least at least try and get the friendlies against Brazil, Argentina, France. You know, somebody, yeah. someone with a with a, with the country, you know, with, with, with players that people might you might attract players like Brazil came for the twenty twelve Olympics and Neymar played, and it was like. Everyone was really, you know, everyone's captivated by it. No one's going to be captivated to come and see, um, to come and see a, a football match with, with, with all right, Son Hume, Son Hume, Jung Min might play and Kim Min Jay might play, but beyond that, how many play, how many people are going to know players from those club from those countries? There was an interesting question by um, posed by Oliver Kay at the Athletic, who said, "Are, are the Saudis sort of overegging, overestimating how much?" That the Newcastle fans love their owners and want their own uh, want their owners to succeed, and I think actually that's a really good point because I think there's a lot of love that's been given to Staveley and and Jamie Rubin and Murder Caducey, who are the front of house of the ownership. Hmm. But but I, I do wonder whether there is a sort of element of is it being overestimated how much these people are actually valued and loved at Newcastle, or is it just a sort of like we're just putting up with it and accepting it and dealing with it because of what what it brings, but you know that that that's does it go beyond that? I you know I I think you'd have to ask individual Newcastle fans. But as I say, it just yeah. doesn't. As you say, it it doesn't strike you as a apart from anything else, it doesn't strike you as two football matches you want to go and see, does it really? No. And when you try and claim that your ownership's separate from the state, then it's not really yeah, good precisely. at all, is it? Precisely. You're I mean, literally it, saying, yeah, yeah, we didn't really mean that to be honest. So. It, it just it just it, this is what I mean about goading. It just makes it feel. Like it just—it's it, almost like what can we get away with? And it, yeah, I just—I just don't. I just think it was un, at, at best unnecessary. Right. Let's talk about the match. Uh, your thoughts on an eight PM Saturday kickoff? Well, this is a problem for. I was, well, it's not great for the Newcastle fans who are travelling. I think that's been a, that's been an issue. And eight o'clock kickoffs generally, I would, I would not have kickoffs beyond. You know, beyond beyond five thirty is a rule mm. in the Premier League, but uh, on a weekend. But um, so from that perspective, it's it's a problem. But I think it's mainly more for, from a football perspective, it's more of an issue for for Man City, obviously with the cup, the Super Cup, and that, that's probably given Newcastle an advantage. But I don't like it, 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 apart from anything else. I'm working that day; it stretches my day out a little bit longer as well. <laughs> yeah. um, 
So, uh, so there's that. But I think no, I, 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 I generally just don't like you know the the one thing I've noticed with Newcastle getting better, and I wonder what you think about this as well, about from a Man City perspective, is the lack of three pm kickoffs and how good a three pm kickoff actually feels when you get one. I really enjoy the 3 p.m. kickoff um, when you're at the game, and you know it, it. It can engulf your day, but it, but it, but then once it's done, it's done. Whereas a 12:30 kickoff, you have to get up really early, and and you know, and then, and then it, it doesn't it, it doesn't take any less of your day up. It just starts earlier. The eight eight o'clock kickoffs, I can't imagine how late Newcastle fans are going to get home. It just yeah, I don't. I'm not a fan of it uh, per no. se, but I I, I don't I don't fully understand why. Why they haven't from 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 Pep Guardiola's perspective? Why they haven't let the game be played on Sunday or Monday? But from Newcastle's perspective, I guess that is a slight advantage. Just a bit, considering how much they were sweating last night. Yeah, mm. uh, Wednesday night during the match. Uh, I mean, it's so just stupidity of a lot of things in a way. I, I held the clubs responsible for this. I mean, yeah, Pep Guardiola can moan about it, and I understand that. Sevilla themselves play on Monday night now. Mm. So they have support from their FA, even if yeah, yeah, even if Tebas is <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the uh, ideal head, uh, mm. and yet what he's yeah, well, the little they have support from the league or whatever. Uh, how, however, it, it just shows. I think the clubs are partly responsible as well because they sign these TV deals and they don't put any caveats in, do they? Because they're probably getting no, exactly, money for yeah. it. No, I mean I, they've I, allowed I mean, it this to be eight pm and next. From next season, all Sunday games will be televised, and then it'll be seven yeah. pm on a Sunday. Yeah, uh, and Monday night games have been you know normal. It's like it's not. It's on Friday nights as well. It's like you know, well, uh, yeah. well, but uh, you know, no one's kicked a fuss. The clubs haven't kicked a fuss. They haven't stood no, up for yeah, the fans. I they haven't agree. put caveats that you can't. You should have a game if you've got a game like that. Then it should be two teams close to each other. Not you know where the away fans have to travel four hundred miles. No one stood up for the fans, so I, yeah, I, I don't have much sympathy really when managers complain about it because mm. they're they should speak to their owners and have something done about this. And but of course, money talks, and I think that three pm will just become rarer and rarer. I really mm. do. It's a shame it is the perfect time. Half five ones aren't bad to be honest. Uh, if TV or going on a Saturday, but three pm will always be. For me, the best time to play a football match. So, it's yeah, a shame. I agree. I agree. And anyway, you hinted at this already. Really big match this early in the season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd yeah. say a bigger match, <laughs> Chelsea Liverpool. Uh, if you're looking at the table, uh, maybe at the end of the season. But hey, I've no idea. To be honest, who's who's really going to fit fill that top six at the end of the season? I changed my mind about eight times during the Chelsea match alone. So, uh, yeah, but. You've hinted at this. Are you going into this game as feeling as if you're equals or near equals? It, it may. It feels the closest to that. I mean, the caveat for that is that Newcastle have been a better team on paper than Man City while you've been at the Etihad or City of Manchester Stadium back to 2003, and they've never won there. You know, the last win at Man City was in 2000. So hmm. that's so. It, it's odd to feel confident. You know, regardless of who the who's playing in the teams, in a sense, because there's no sort of reference point for me to remember a win at Man City. But as far as the Premier League is concerned, in recent times, this is as good as Newcastle have been, and as probably on in terms of circumstance rather than on paper, as weak as Man City have been at the same time in a long time. So 
you know, Kevin De Bruyne being out is a massive blow for for, for, for City. Playing in that cup fight in that Super Cup final and going to penalties and as mm. you say, it was a really difficult game. And it was a strong team as well. So a lot of those players you'd imagine will play on Saturday. There's just got that sense and then you add in the, the intensity and the confidence and the and the and the possibilities that Newcastle themselves bring. I mean, we could listen back to this. I could, uh, we could listen back to this program on Monday, and I could make, be making an absolute fool of myself now because it could be a four 0 win to Man City that could quite easily happen because that tends to be the way it is when when Man City play Newcastle. It, used, it usually is very comfortable, but it feels like now with Newcastle, you know, they, they have a really strong defense as as proven last season. It was joint with Man City and actually led Man City in many ways. Um, it actually led Man City as well. In, in the in the in the in the uh, best defense in the league for a long time, and then up front you've got Isak, who for me is at the moment the second best striker in the league behind Haaland, if not just in generally the second best striker in the league behind Haaland. Um, and then in midfield, as I say, you've you've got Bruno, but you've also got you've also got Tonali, who so that's a spine of a team. Botman, you know Bruno Tonali and Isak. Hmm. That is that could all of those four players I'm convinced could could easily. Put a blue shirt on on Saturday and, and put in a brilliant performance. Um, so that gives you a lot of confidence. But as I said, um, I, I sort of hinted to this off, off air. I'm interested to know what what Man City fans think of Newcastle now and what the opposition well, generally do. You, do you come into this game thinking Newcastle are a bigger threat than they ever have yeah. been in recent years? And are you actually yeah. genuinely a little bit fearful of this game or or not? I am. Well, people paint me as a T1 pessimist. Uh, I'm not. I like to think I'm realistic, to be honest. City are, mm. have a brilliant home record and a brilliant team. And I just think I'm being realistic. I'm a nervous fan, but I don't think I'm a pessimist fan. I don't predict us to lose every week. I think, yeah, I do look at, you know, privately I might have those thoughts and panics and stuff, but I don't say it. But then full fans do that, just look at Twitter yeah. timelines. I. I'm not saying I would take a draw, but I don't think a draw for City at this time would be some disaster in the second game of the season. I think it's going to be a really tough game. Now, mm. don't read too much in. I mean, there may be fatigue from the Super Cup game, but City didn't play very well either. But I wouldn't take too much from that because this is just a completely different game. Now, there's some fantasy football accounts as spreading a rumour that Stones has got a hamstring injury now. That's a huge... I don't know if it's true, but it's a huge loss anyway. He's supposed to have an abductor injury and was should have been fit for this weekend. So if, hypothetically, he's out, that's a huge hit. Kevin De Bruyne being out. Bernardo Silva uh, was ill during the week, so I would hope he's back. He'd be a huge loss if he's not fighting fit. Mm. Uh, and I think Ruben Diaz has come back after concussion protocols have run out. So it's not going to be totally the same game you know you wouldn't have Cole Palmer starting I don't think but we also were short on players we need we're, you know we're probably going to sign Paqueta and maybe Doku so we're still trying to get this squad together and you know I'm not I'm not being a Debbie Downer this is just City not quite being ready yet and Pep always looks at the wider picture anyway I think for the Newcastle fans it's absolutely the best time to play this because it looks like you've settled you haven't got many injuries. You come into this, you've got some signings sorted. Uh, yeah. 
Whereas we're still trying to adjust everything. There's been so much uncertainty over who's leaving, who's not leaving over the summer that we're still trying to sort it out. We've got a couple of injuries and niggles and stuff like that. And there's that symmetry and is not quite there yet, I don't think. Often the way City start seasons, even in the most successful seasons, they will often start slowly because... We don't have a big pre-season and Pep looks at the wider picture. Better to be absolutely purring in March and April than right now and run out of steam in February. Uh, so I don't think I'm being negative in saying that. This is going to be a really tough game for City, yeah. I wouldn't say 50-50, but I would say it wouldn't be like the shock of the century if you came there and got a result. But mm. who knows? You know, Pep no, uh, is, is a problem solver. We'll still have a, a bloody good side put out and it will. it won't be the same sort of game against like Burnley last week or, or Seville during the week. So it just would just be a cracking game, to be honest. Uh, yeah, you know, if it was a neutral, I'd be absolutely couldn't wait for this one. Mm. I mean, yeah, I, so, I, I, I agree. I completely agree. I think it's, mm. it's interesting that it's just the, the sort of the, the Guardiola uh, element of this will always, he's always, he's your most important person at a club. I think he's the most, I think if you, took most managers out of most teams, the players would still be there to to cover. But I think with Guardiola, even though City have the best squad, I think Guardiola is by far the best manager. And he's the one who makes the difference. He's the biggest star at City, even even despite you know De Bruyne and Haaland. So regardless of your injury, you're always going to be a really, really good side because Guardiola's on the sidelines. Yeah. I mean, the side he put out against Burnley was like, what on earth is this side? <laughs> it's like, mm. I don't even know where players are going to line up. So, but yeah, it was all fine in the end. And yeah, uh, I just, I think he's building a team that's like, you know, I said, we said it on a podcast recently that it's going to be a wall with that defensive talent and like Kovacic and Rodri in front of them. That's a wall, you know, like, but yeah. we didn't see that. You, I could see games where opposition, not, Sides as good as Newcastle, but some teams don't don't even lay a finger on them because that is such an imposing back six or seven. Uh, but the Sevilla games showed, I think, that we're just not there yet. So it is an opportunity for Newcastle, I think, uh, yeah. this early in the season. Uh, just that we are running out of time. In fact, we've gone way past it as always. But just one final question for you: for all the talent you've got, you've mentioned the defense. Cities and Newcastle's was the joint best last season. If you are going to have a successful season and perhaps creep even higher than fourth in the table and go final cups, is it ultimately the defence that will be key again this season? Yeah, but not for the reason. It's not like we will rely on. I think the the the, the defence is great, but it's not like we'll rely on it in the way that we did in the first half of the last season. There was a point where they they went nine games without conceding the goal, and just generally at, at no point in those games did they look like they were going to concede. Whereas mm. that that after the uh, World Cup break and managers had studied them. It felt a little bit like they'd been found out a bit, and their pace, the lack of pace that Newcastle have at the back. All right, Livermore and all right, Hall will add to that uh, a little bit with their sort of youth. But it's still, I still worry about centre back, and I still, I, I sort of said this. I've started a YouTube channel. I've got a, a, a preview earlier, and the thing I said was, you don't want to be the one player. You don't want to be running on, on, on a high line and beating and in behind you is, is Haaland because he'll just destroy you. So I I think the defence is key, but it's key in a way it's key that it that they find a way not to not to be exposed by not to have their lack of pace exposed that, that started to creep in. And I wonder 
if they can, whether they'll sign another centre-back before the end of the window. I'm not sure if they have the money, but I think, yes, because of that reason. But I think the the whole way Newcastle work is is because they defend high up the pitch, and I think that's, that saves them quite a lot of the time. But if you can get if you can beat the press, then you then you might have a good chance of getting in behind. And if you do, then that's when Newcastle will most be exposed. I think probably a similar starting lineup to last weekend. I think it'll be exactly the same starting. Okay. I think, he will, I, think he, I don't think he'll make a change for for me and for me anyway because uh, we're not at the stage where it's two games a week. I think Trippier will play every game until until that's the case, and then then you'll see him come out. You know. Dan Byrne did okay at left back. At left back, he's he's probably a player that Man City will target, but he's very good mm. defensively. Um, and then yeah, Bruno and Tonali have proven themselves now, and that and that'll be a midfield. And then Isak and up front. You might the only possible change is obviously Harvey Barnes scored twice yeah. or scored at the weekend, so so he might go in for Anthony Gordon, but Gordon was fantastic as well. So I don't think it'll be a change. Okay, All right. Finally, score prediction. One one. I think that's. Uh, it could be two one to Man City, but I think one one. I'll 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 let my heart roll my head a little bit there, but I think one one would be. Uh, I think a draw would be the same. Yeah, I'm going for the same. Yeah, I'm not being negative, City fan. I think it'll be a really tough one, and, and City after this have got you know Sheffield United, Fulham. Uh, I, I try not to get panicky if points would drop if we drop a point in the second game of the season anyway well now I think it'll be a really close game and I, I'm going to go for one all as well so there we go Harry we've run out of time thank you very much again for taking Cheers, the time Harry. out to speak to us I really appreciate it thank you I really appreciate yeah. uh, the invite again yeah and as always after this weekend hope you have a brilliant season uh, <laughs> right, you too we'll go back to the panel now to preview the big game on Saturday night right Thank you very much, Harry. Uh, really illuminating and interesting chat with him, as always. So, we now look forward. Enough angst about the transfer window, eh, San? Uh, big match Saturday night. Does Pep have a point about the time of the match, 8pm, after they've all sweated their asses off on Wednesday night Definitely. in Athens? I mean, how, how we land a Saturday game having played a cup final on a Wednesday is beyond me. Is really beyond me. But, hey, that's... We, we, yeah, we we know what the Premier League are like when it comes to scheduling, so it is what it is. Mm. Well, they don't help, do they? I say I think Sevilla play Monday night, so there's Liga, FA, whoever helping them, because other FAs often do. Uh, but again, is it? I did say this to Harry Asen. I see it not complicit in this, or the clubs themselves that they when they sign these deals, they don't ask for any caveats or rules or anything like that. So they're at at the mercy of them, aren't they? Because money talks. More or less, yeah. I mean, most football clubs um, at the top level, most of their money comes from the TV deals. Or that's the biggest single check anyway, and it's the one that generally tends to cover the wage bills. So they are a little bit beholden to the broadcasters, but absolutely it's a, it's boardroom level stuff though. It's not, it's not on Guardiola. Hmm. It's on, you know, the fellas who like to talk about how much money they made. Yeah. It's on those fellas to, on the other side, be talking to, to, to their fellow stakeholders and saying, lads, let's lobby the premier league and say to the premier league that they have to say to the broadcasters, X is X and Y is Y. So if a Premier League team plays in the Champions League on a Wednesday, 
they don't have to play in the Premier League until Sunday or Monday. Simple. The four thirty game on Sunday is West Ham Chelsea, and the and the eight o'clock Monday game is Palace and Arsenal. Well, there okay. you go. So it, it could have easy, either one of those could have been sacrificed because it's still very early on. But of all three fixtures, Newcastle City is the juiciest, without a doubt, of those. So, so it could have it, easily been shifted in terms hmm. of priority. And not, not just about the players as well. It's about the fans, Chris. Mm-hmm. Should Newcastle fans have to be looking to get back to Newcastle? Uh, I don't know. By the time they get into the centre Manchester at half 10 on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, it works. It's... Uh, many aspects of it is fans, players, and both of those. There's games, no midweek game for City next week. They didn't yeah. have to play on the Saturday, did they? And, and the other two fixtures are all London teams as well. Yeah. Exactly. So the eight p the eight pm on a Monday night doesn't really affect the fans. No, uh, Chris, I've got a obvious question of the day. <laughs> this is going to be a tough match, is it not? You're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting back to the Etihad. I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing the guys around me at the stadium. Um, I What I'm looking forward to is that Newcastle will bring the game to us. And I very much doubt this is going to be playing against a low block team who are trying to counter. And I think they will be on the front foot. And I think, and I think it'll be a really, it'll be a really good challenge for us. And in the context of what we've just been talking about, I think it will lay bare how threadbare the squad is, if indeed it is. And where we need reinforcements and what level we're at at, the, at this point, um, I'm reasonably confident. But I th- what I'm hoping for is a really competitive game, um, not quite like the one this time last season at St James's, where I thought we were, we were there were some vulnerabilities on our part. But I think it will be a tough match because Newcastle have the bit between the teeth, and they are, you know, visibly growing in ambition. Hey, son. If Stones is out, uh, we record this before the press conference, so by the time people t- listen to this, they'll probably know exactly where our squad is at. Stones is out, and even if he's not, and Bernardo Silva hopefully is not ill anymore. But either way, it's fair to say Newcastle come into this game in much better shape at this very early stage of the season. I mean, they they, they come into it probably with more confidence just based on our performance in midweek. I think that uh, Stones and Diaz availability becomes key because we saw the, the a little bit the lack of stability that a fully changed uh, centre-back, back, back four, basically, it brought to the team. I think also Akanji really didn't play the midfield role particularly well. Um, and it was kind of, it was weird. I, I said on the uh, on the post-Super Cup review that we did on the player that I I... I felt as though Rico Lewis would have been a better option at right back on Wednesday because he just plays that midfield role much better than Akanji does. Um, so, and he Pep's got that option in the squad. So, I, I'm I'm not going to say they're in way better shape than City because you know we have Erling Haaland, Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, Vardiol, Walker. You know what I mean? Like we've got loads of mm. Rodri, we've got loads of top players. Um, I just feel that we need the two centre-backs recovered. I need to wait until we get to the press conference because I think my only worry would be if both Stones and Diaz are unavailable. Well, I would hope Diaz's uh, concussion protocol should be finished by now. And of course he travelled, so he would consider himself fit. So I don't think he'll be an issue. Famous last words. Chris, 
predicting the team, utterly impossible. Um, I'm not going to ask you. Possibility, though, for me that Gavardio drops back to the bench because this is such a big game early in the season and there will be such tough opposition yeah. that Pep might want to rely on his old guard for this one. Uh, players that know the system, that are bedded in. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. I mean, I do think we're going to see a lot more of Walker than we might have expected this season. I, I I do wonder to what extent when he and Pep were out for uh, out for for dinner in Manchester, what part what was part of Pep's convincing strategy to convince Walker to stay and not go to Bayern? Is that are we going to see a lot more of him? Is he going to take more of the captain role than ever before? Um, I I I think that yeah, I mean. It, it, it's it's quite a fa- it's quite a big game for Diaz to come straight back into, but we know the kind of character that that, that, that he is. If St- if Stones and Diaz are fit, then I want them to play. And Gavardio's Gavardio's got plenty of time. The question is, do we then go with Kanji or Ake uh, um, at left back? And then if Bernardo's fit, the question would be is is do we play Bernardo in the middle and or do we put put him on the right hand side and have Foden in there with Kopacic and and Rodri? And then it's for me it's 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 Grealish and Haaland uh, with either Foden or Bernardo on the right hand side. Hmm. He said further forward, we still don't know Alvarez if that was you know, if he's gonna be fully fit. I don't know if Bernardo's over his illness. So again a tough question, but you get, there's not that many options. The team kind of will pick itself really for who's available further forward. Mm, I think Bernardo was, uh, I've been told it was precautionary on yeah. on Wednesday. So I, I'm assuming that he'll be fine. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the smallness of the squad dictates that particularly what we consider to be the front five, I, I think it'll end up picking itself because there isn't uh, a whole heap of options. And if, Alvarez is out, then they're really the team will literally pick itself. Are you confident going into this game? I mean, yes, I'm yeah, called, because I'm called negative, but I, I'm I'm more, I'm more looking at the uh, you know the the nickels and the injuries that are, have me concerned. But it's it is barely the second game season, so what will be yeah. will be. It will be a tough game, but this is a team. I think we've won the last fourteen against them or something. Uh, obviously, history. Past history doesn't really count for much. It was a tough game at the Etihad last season, let alone the one at St. James's Park. We know they're going to be tough opposition, but it is one hell of a fortress our stadium now anyway. It is and one of the one of the characteristics of this Newcastle team is how physical they are. And I think that we are one of the few teams in the league that are suited to playing them because we have a similar level of physical but like basically like they can't bully us do you know what i mean they'll have to they'll have mm. to play better football than us with a lot of games that they play they can bully teams you know you got joe linton in midfield you got the 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 all four of their back four are big grocks do you know what i mean they've got a lot of lads who like to leave a foot in all that sort of business they're they're very good in that sense um they're also very dynamic. Like if you look at the, uh, whether it's Harvey Barnes or it's Gordon, it's like, you know, they, it's, it's the, it's the classic Eddie Howe winger, the, the lads who will just run for days. But I think that we're, we're kind of built to, to, to deal with and withstand that. So 
And, you know, like the kind of, you, you shouldn't, or for me anyway, I don't let the transfer stuff bleed too far into how I view the game. The transfer stuff is about how long the season is and how, whether it's injuries or it's fatigue, you just got to have options. You got to be able to freshen the team up now and again. Um, but the core that we have, we'd beat anybody. Even without Kev, it's cool. It would be anybody. The, the, my only worry would be both Stones and Diaz being missing whilst Guardiol hasn't been bedded in yet. Hmm. Chris, their threats, as it's stating the obvious, I think, to pick out three is Tonali, obviously, had a sparkling debut, Gomez next to him, Isaac up front, mm-hmm. who's been in my fantasy football team from the moment he signed mm-hmm. for Newcastle, so I do rate him. Three obvious threats there, but above all, it's a very balanced side, Newcastle, isn't it? They've got, yeah, I mean, I think they've got on paper one of the strongest midfields um, as well that's got elements for all. I, I, I do think, even though the scoreline would, would contradict what I'm saying, I do think that scoreline slightly flattered Newcastle against Villa. I didn't, I didn't think Villa played that badly. I just thought there was a Newcastle scored in a cluster of goals that ended it really quite quickly. But, but so, so I think it's not quite a fair reflection. I do think mm. this is a game for Haaland. Um, I, I think it's one. It's one of those games where we, we saw in the last season, Haaland often scored in clusters because once we found a way to get Haaland behind their defence, he'd then score at will. And we saw that on several occasions, whether it was against United or however, whichever t- other teams, Premier League teams, that he scored against. He will relish that physical challenge from those centre halves. And I think that if he can find his way through to score within the first 25, 30 minutes, it will go on to be um, his game, which might then nullify the, the attack. Newcastle counter superbly and they pass the ball quickly. So our position, our transition from having the ball, if we lose at the turnover, getting back into that positional defensive shape that I talked about before, that will be critical against Newcastle. And, and that's why we only drew it this time last season when we could possibly have, 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 won, have won that game. But yeah, they, they are a threat. Um, and, um, and, and, and so I'm hoping it will be a game of football. Um, but I think possession will be critical and the way we can penetrate their back line will be an will obviously you know, be a really important part of the, the way the game plays out. Hey Sam, we're close to wrapping up, but I know you need to get off in one minute. So I will ask you a final question uh, and then your score prediction. Newcastle wanting to play, does that in a way help City in this game that we won't see like a severe low block? Or do you think that they are so good on the transition that we will see quite a cautious approach from Pep uh, with say, you know, the, I say double pivot, but that wall, uh, will he look at not conceding first? Or do you think, how much do you think Newcastle and what they're bringing to the Etihad this weekend will, yeah, will change how Pep approaches this game? I think that Newcastle away from home uh, are a very compact team um, and they, they prefer to play in transitions. So I don't think that Newcastle are coming to the Etihad tomorrow to score five goals against City by controlling the football and out-footballing City. I think that they're coming tomorrow, having seen what happened in midweek, to go, well, we can do what Sevilla did. We can frustrate the hell mm. out of City, and then we can murder them on the transition. So my my only message for tomorrow night is control the transitions and you'll win the game of football. Okay. Score prediction, hey, Sam? A tight 2-1 City.
Okay. Right, we're going to let you get off, even though we're, we're wrapping up now anyway, but I know you need to... I'm going to leave so. you, boys. Thank you very much, Howard. Chris, good to speak to you. Thank you very much to the listeners. Good to chat. See you later. Cheers. Thank you very much. Right, we can slug him off now, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do that. Uh, your score prediction for this match? Um. Okay, so I'm going. I'm going to say three, three, one, and and I may be wrong, but it's. I I think if we, I, I just feel it. If we can find Harland. And we can open them up. Then he could feast a little bit. But but I but I think that that I don't know. Th- th- it might still be a tight three-one. But mm. I'm going to say th- I'm, I'm, but I'm going to say three-one. Like our tight two-nil last season. I mean, it's very yeah. tight. Yeah. Does it? Well, I know we discussed this all last season about Ernie Harlan not touching the ball much. Did that severe game bore you at all? I mean, I joked when he scored his penalty that he'd scored with his first touch. But he was so isolated that, in a way, it it does become about him, doesn't it? That we still need to get him into games more, I think. But if you if you look at so so we, I mean, were, he scored we were, two goals, obviously against Burnley last yeah, weekend. Uh, we, we were looking. I mean, what was interesting? He, he scored those two goals against Burnley when we were packing the box and creating chaos in there. Um, I think that again on Wednesday against Sevilla, we were lacking in creativity. So our option became trying to stretch the game, going wider and whipping crosses in. Mm. Unfortunately, Sevilla defended brilliantly. They were set up superbly. So so Haaland did become really um, isolated. The pattern of play on Wednesday kept changing, going from narrow to wide all the time. It was quite frustrating. Um, and it felt like a very manic game for, for, for quite long periods. I think... There, we saw it in the probably the, the sort of second quarter of last season where Haaland wasn't scoring and he did look isolated and he was visibly very frustrated that he wasn't being found. And we know a lot of that is about him wanting an early through ball played so he can go behind the, 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 the centre half or, or, or the full back. But then eventually we found a way to, to, to navigate the, the, that challenge without, without the, 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 kind of unique creativity of um, De Bruyne for the first half of the season. We do have to, Guardiola does have to generate other options with that to be able to feed him in. But against Newcastle, I just don't think they're going to sit back. I think they I think they will provide spaces and gaps. And as Aitan said, that when the ball turns over, the speed and ingenuity and accuracy of our transition could open them up. Like like we were opened up against Sevilla because Sevilla turned the ball over and the transition was so swift and so and so, so direct. But yeah, I think I think I think I think Holland also will find ways of making bringing himself more into into the play as well. Yeah, just feed the goat and he will probably <laughs> score. So, uh, just for the record, very negative me. Uh, well, not negative. I've just been realistic. I've gone for a one all draw. as did Harry. Uh, I think it'll be a really? really tough, yeah, tough game. I just, you know, early season, few niggles. I just think, yeah, they're going to be a very tough opposition, and that's how I see it. Right, but out. then a one-all draw suggests that both teams will be defensively solid. Well, I was going to go for two-all. Then he went for one-all, and I kind of just went, yeah, okay, then. So, but it's hard. It's hard to predict two-alls because I'm not sure they happen that often, to be honest. Do they? Or and City still haven't conceded more than one goal since Spurs uh, yeah. earlier this year. So, hey, 
maybe I'm going over the top. We are, of course, odds on to win this game. Our record's amazing. And even with players out, yeah. I, I, it's more an early season thing. Yeah, maybe we're just... We've, we've won at Burnley, we've won the Super Cup, we're hardly in crisis here, but I just don't think, and with all that transfer talk, I'm just not sure we're quite there yet. So You see, that prediction... Uh, that's not ha- that different, really, from previous seasons. So, But that prediction's interesting, because a one-all draw usually means a bit of a chess match between teams that have mm. been careful. But then I recall our last one-all draw before Brentford, wasn't it, against Forest? And that one-all draw was not indicative at all of the narrative yeah. of that game. So, so yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd be surprised, but you never know. But I, I can't, I think both teams, I think we're defensively better than Newcastle, even though their record was very good. Mm. I think, I think man for man that, that, that we're better, but, but I, maybe it's a one all draw, but I imagine the attempts on goal will be quite high. I remember the one all draw at Villa, uh, in mm. that season, which was terrible. Yeah. They happen, they happen at this time yeah. of season. So we will see. Right. That's everything covered. Uh, Bumper show. Chris, thank you very much for taking the time out to speak. Absolute pleasure as always, Howard. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, that's a wrap. We're all off to put a fiver on Man U, getting a penalty at Spurs this weekend. You know it's going to happen. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. And as always, up the blues.